You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. We praise your Son, for he is risen from the dead. And in Christ, we are alive with him. Thank you, Lord, for this life that we have, freed from the world, dead to sin, abundant life now, and the hope of eternal life at your return or when you take us home. Our lives are yours. You are king. Father, now we ask, would your Holy Spirit please guide our thoughts and our affections as we consider your word And would you transform us by it to be worshipers of you who worship in spirit and in truth. This we ask together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I invite you to open your Bible together with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Today we're going to consider Colossians chapter 2, 20 to chapter 3, verse 4. This uh, weekend is kind of a significant milestone for our church. Uh, This weekend is the weekend where kids in our kids' ministry have officially graduated from the old classes and now moved up to the next classes. So what this means actually is that there are some people in the room who are here in grade five who have now officially graduated from kids' ministry and have started in youth ministry. So welcome to all grade fives in the room. Happy for you to be in youth ministry. Youth ministry was an important part in my life. Matt is a great guy who leads our youth group. I hope, parents, that you make youth ministry a priority for your kids and for your family. It's the place of all the extracurricular activities that you can do where your kids will be around an environment where their peer pressure is pointed in the right direction towards Christ and not to the world. It's uh, an important milestone for our church. This weekend's actually a significant milestone for me and my wife. Yesterday, my wife uh, and I celebrated five years married, and it's special for me, actually, because the passage that I'm preaching today, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4, is kind of a, a milestone verse in our marriage. Some people have life verses, you know, a verse kind of that defines their life, I thought I had a life verse, but then change happened in my life, and then I had a new life verse, and then change happened in my life, and I knew, and I recognize these aren't life verses, but these are milestone verses, verses that are very important at a significant place in my life. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.9 was really important in high school. Hosea 6 verse 1 to 6 was really important in university, and then in 2012, my wife and I at the time were not even dating yet. We were friends and interested in each other and considering if we should date. And that summer in 2012, uh, I was going to be away out of country in the month of July, three out of the four weeks. I was going to spend some time in Romania with our church on a mission trip, and then I'd come back for a couple days, and then I'd go uh, to Haiti to spend time, some time uh, supporting some orphanages there. And this was a crucial point because we knew we're not going to see each other for a lot, so July is going to be a real test. If we come back, are we going to miss each other, or are we going to be like, yeah, this doesn't really mean anything? But before I left, I encouraged Janny with Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do not set your minds on the things of earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, became kind of the theme of my wife and our uh, marriage. And I've counted a privilege myself to be able to preach it and share such a significant passage in my life into our church today. 
Colossians 3 verse 1 and 4 is also a significant passage in the movement and flow of the logic of the book of Colossians. The thesis of Colossians is chapter 2 verse 6 and 7, which is, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The message of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ over all things and the sufficiency of Christ in all things to strive for maturity. Walk in him, rooted, built up, established. And then after that passage in Colossians 2, Paul proceeds, as we've done over the past four weeks, to correct the error of the false teaching that was invading the Colossian church. But now, in Colossians 2, 20 to 3, 4, we kind of hit the proverbial so what of the passage. Okay, so Christ is supreme over all things, sufficient in all things, and we've heard the correction against the false teaching, so now what? Well, Paul reminds them of their unity, of their unity with Christ's death and resurrection. If you died with Christ, if you're raised with Christ, Christ. The so what of the message of Colossians is the good news of the gospel. The gospel empowers us to strive for maturity, but how? That's what today's message is about. We want to ask and answer this question. How does the gospel empower us to strive for maturity in Christ? And I'll give you the answer right now, which we will consider as we go through the passage. How does the gospel empower us to strive for maturity in Christ? The gospel has set us free from the world to seek God's kingdom and put on new life. The gospel has set us free from the world to seek God's kingdom and put on new life. Let's now try and understand what this means together. What does it mean that the gospel has set us free? Well, Paul concludes chapter 2 by summarizing his, uh, the way that he corrects the error of the false teaching with three summarizing statements about their false teaching. So let's look at the text together. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Remember, the false teaching of the Colossians was influenced by demonic forces. That's what these elemental spirits of the world are. And these elemental spirits of the world were influencing the false teachers who were in the church of Colossae to teach this weird combination of Jewish laws and pagan rituals that in its essence were forcing people to observe rigid rules about their behavior. And the rigid rules about behavior, the object of the rigid rules about behavior was just worldly stuff, right? Do not handle, do not teach, do not touch. The false teachers in their essence were really only concerned with worldly things that had no spiritual consequence. It said they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So I said that Paul made three summarizing statements about the error of the false teaching. That's the first one. The first error of their false teaching is that your rigid rules have no spiritual value. 
don't touch this, don't taste this, don't handle this, don't watch this, don't eat that, don't wear that, don't drink that, don't go there, don't listen to that. All of those don'ts are about worldly substances, physical substances that are going to erode with the world itself. It's not about spiritual matters. It's not about kindness and mercy. It's not about love and justice. It's literally worldly things, food that's going to perish, drink that's going to expire, clothing that's going to rot together with this world. So that's the first summarizing claim against the false teaching. It was about just in spiritually meaningless things. The second thing about the false teaching was that it was man-made. It wasn't from God. Like I said, it was this weird combination of Jewish rules and pagan rituals. They were spiritually meaningless. It was man-made ideas. And ultimately, they were from a empty authority. Meaningless rules from an empty authority. That's the elemental spirits of the world. These demonic forces. They were... False teachers were saying, you have to listen to these angels. You have to listen to these angels. But we learned in Colossians 2 that Christ um, uh, shamed these forces, put them to open shame, and triumphed over them. So the false teachers were advocating spiritually meaningless, rigid rules that were man-made from an empty authority. Meaningless rules, empty authority. And Paul asks them a question. If you've died to the world... Why are you still following these meaningless rules from the empty authority in the world? This idea of dying with Christ to the world, Paul uses another time in the scriptures in Romans chapter 7, where he talks about how they have been delivered, so they have been rescued, they've been released is probably the appropriate word. They've been released and set free from the Jewish law. And he uses an example to explain that by talking about uh, what happens when a spouse dies. When a couple is married, they are bound together in law to stay together. But if a spouse dies, the living spouse is now uh, set free from that law and are no longer bound to the relationship. And when Paul says that they have died to the world, they've died to the elemental forces of the world, Paul's saying, you're set free from these, this empty authority. You're no longer on, under them. Why are you following them? Empty authority, meaningless rules. It's kind of like this. Maybe you're a student or you remember what it was like being a student when a supply teacher came into school. Good teachers have good routines for their classrooms, right? You know, when the kids get in class, they learn from day one that the teacher expects this at this time, and the good routine helps uh, give a structure for these students to actually flourish and learn. But that's all out the door when a supply teacher comes, right? And a manipulative student or the class clown might kind of know this, and the teacher might come with the notes and say, okay, so uh, your regular teacher said we need to do this, and we need to read your textbooks, and then you need to have group study, and then afterwards you can have free time. But one kid might be like, no, 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 no. Sorry, we've been here before. We know how this goes. No, we have free time first. Okay, all that matters is really what did the teacher say. This kid is an empty authority, and his rules are meaningless. Or maybe you know, know what this is if you're a parent and you've had a babysitter before. And your kid, your kid is smart. And if it wasn't for the fact that you're bigger than them, you might think they're the authority figure because they are very convincing in their words. 
And the babysitter comes and they've given, mom and dad have given some instructions. Okay, so after dinner, they clean their uh, dishes, they tidy the kitchen, they do their homework, and then they can have free time afterwards. And the kid's like, no, that's not what mom and dad tell us. No, 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 after dinner, I go play video games and my little sister does all the chores. (laughs) Empty authority, meaningless rules, all that what matters is what did mom and dad say? And Paul's asking this. It's like, why are you following this child? Why are you following these rigid? So what I would ask you, church, is your Christian living guided by rigid rules of do's and don'ts behavior? That is not sufficient to empower us to strive towards maturity. If your Christian living is guided by rigid rules and do's and don'ts behavior only, you're still living in a worldly way. Mom and dad, if you're training your kids, you want your kids to be mature, but all they hear for you are do's and don'ts, and you neglect to tell them the good news that Christ died for them, you might be able to raise really good religious kids, but you're also raising really worldly kids. Maybe you're back at church, and it's been a long time since you've been at church. And maybe you still feel guilty about living in the world like a non-Christian did, but friend, I want you to know that you can still come back to church, but still live like the world if you think that what pleases God is living by rigid rules of do's and don'ts behavior. If you neglect the good news of Christ's death and only do these do's and don'ts, you're still living in a worldly way. Don't watch this. Don't eat that. Don't wear that. Don't drink this. Don't go there. Don't go listen to that. Christian, we are called to live a life of holiness. But it doesn't start with rigid rule, do and don't behavior. It starts with the gospel. The gospel has set us free from the world and any do's and don'ts about how we operate and the physical substances of this world have no spiritual meaning. Christian, when you believed in Jesus, you were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into a kingdom of light. You have exited one physical realm and entered into a new spiritual realm. You may be in this world, but you're not of this world and you can't live like this world. Fantasy stories and classic storytelling understand this idea. They understand this idea of traveling into a new dimension with a new way of living that needs a completely drastic reorientation. Like Lucy entering into the wardrobe and exiting out into Narnia. Like Alice falling down the rabbit hole and landing in Wonderland. Like Will Byers captured by the monster and entering into the Upside Down. Like Dorothy losing consciousness in a twister and waking up in Oz, she recognized Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. And in the same way, Christian, you have been delivered, set free from this world, and we cannot operate in a worldly way of do's and don'ts and rigid rules. We need a new paradigm. We need to reorient our entire livelihood around a new way of living. But we can because we've been set free from this world. How does the gospel empower us to strive for maturity in Christ? The gospel has set us free from the world to seek God's 
kingdom. This is the new paradigm. This is the way we reorient our lives around the kingdom of God. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2, look at it with me. If then you've been raised with Christ, dead to the world, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. In light of the reality of our unity with Christ's death and our unity with Christ's resurrection, Paul, God's word, commands the church to reorient our lives in this world around the reality of Christ's authority in heaven. You might be living in this world, but you're alive in Christ and you're set free from the world, so seek the things that are above. You might be living in this world, but you're set free from this world and alive in Christ, so set your mind on the things that are above. But an important question for us to ask is, what are the things that are above? Well, the passage qualifies what it is by saying they are the things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This statement is a reference to the ascension of Jesus Christ to the ascension of Jesus Christ after he died and rose again, and then he ascended back into heaven to the Father. It's also a reference to the inauguration of the kingdom of God as a result of the gospel. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus has been honored by the Father and exalted as king. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now God has highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, he's been exalted as king. And when there's a new monarch, there's a new era, there's a new era with a new authority and a new rule. For however long that she's been on the throne, Queen Elizabeth has been the queen of Canada. That's actually what she is. She's, she's queen of the Commonwealth. She's the head of state here. And for as long as I've been alive, and for as long as many of us have been alive, the only person that's been printed and minted on our bills and our coins is Queen Elizabeth's face. They print her face on the bills, they mint her face on the coins, but there will be a day when the queen is no longer the queen, and she passes, and there will be another monarch. And when there's a new monarch, there's a new authority, and there's a new era. And no longer will Queen Elizabeth's face be printed on bills and minted on coins. The new monarch's face will be printed on bills and minted in coins. And there will be a new person with a new authority to govern the lands. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, a new era was inaugurated in the kingdom of God. There will be a day when Christ returns when the kingdom of God is established over all of the earth and Christ reigns over everyone and everyone does acknowledge his authority, but it's not yet. His kingdom has not been yet fully consummated, fully established, but it has been inaugurated. And he rules from the right hand of the Father enthroned in heaven. So if it's not yet established over all the earth, where is it established? It's established over the church as Christ is the head of the body. Though we are alive in this 
world, though we are living in this world, we are alive in Christ. But we don't submit to the rulers of this world. First, we submit to the authority of Christ. To seek the things that are above is to reorient our lives around Christ's authority by regularly, intentionally seeking it and setting our minds on it so that we can submit to it. To seek and set our minds on the things that are above is to incorporate the lifestyle, the lived lifestyle of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it mean to seek the authority of God in our life now? What does it mean to set our minds on the authority of God in our lives now? Well, seek is a word used in the New Testament that describes the, the drawing of your attention, the drawing of your attention and the fixing of your gaze, the grip, your attention drawn and your gaze gripped. I don't know about you, but I kind of like fine art. And I've been to the AGO Art Gallery of Ontario before, and maybe you have. And maybe you walk by in some pieces like those modern things that look like a kindergarten painted it. doesn't really grip your attention. But there are some things that when you see it, they just, you're drawn to it and you're gripped by it. My favorite artist is a man named Norman Rockwell. And this is my favorite picture by Norman Rockwell. It's called Lift Thine Eyes. I have a copy of this on my wall at home. When I first saw this picture, my attention was drawn to it, my gaze was gripped by it. And the first thing that I notice when I see this picture, and I look at it every day, is I see the people. I see the people at the bottom, and I see that all the people are hunched over and their eyes are looking down. But it's a big painting, so I don't, my gaze is now lifted up from the people towards the middle of the painting where I see a Christian minister and his helper. And the helper is putting... Uh, a message up on a message board, a message that says, lift thine eyes. And when I look up onto a see the ornate structures and, and, uh, of the uh, cathedral, I see these uh, white statues, maybe limestone, maybe ivory. And while all of the living people have their heads down, the statues have their chins up. And it even looks like some of them are looking at the statue in the middle who is probably Christ. But the more I even lift my eyes up and see just this, there's this cathedral that seemingly goes on forever and the higher I go, the brighter it gets. And then when I contrast the brightness of lifting my eyes up and then see the darkness of the people keeping their eyes down, it encourages my mind to seek the things that are above. Fine art can grip Draw your attention and grip your gaze like that. And this picture is almost a metaphor for what it is like to seek the things that are above. There's a lot of things that can distract us in daily living. There's a lot that draws our attention and grips our gaze. Because it's hard. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We see a monarchs printed on bills, but we don't see the throne of Christ around us. We walk by faith and not by sight. But sometimes it's really easy to walk by sight, isn't it? Sometimes it's really hard to walk by faith, isn't it? Church, I would ask you, what distracts your attention? 
What draws your attention away from Christ and grips your gaze so that you struggle to grow and are stunted in your spiritual growth? Does gaming distract you? Hours and hours looking at a plastic screen. Do stocks, do, do stocks in the markets grab your attention? Whether it's on your phone, whether it's on TV, you're just concerned, what are the markets doing? Where's my money? Is it your kids? You're so focused on their, are you so focused on their walk with Christ or their maturity that you can't even focus on your own? Maybe it's fashion. You just want the next popular thing and you're always going every season to get the newest trends because you really want to look good whether you're out at the club or you're out at the office. Maybe it's friends. Maybe you really want to be accepted by a certain crowd and you will compromise your morals to be, get a good laugh and be accepted by them. Church, we will always become what we behold. We will always become what we behold. What distracts us is, in essence, idolatry. It steals the affection of our hearts. It steals our love for God and puts it on the world. In the Psalms, one of the writers says that those who make idols become like them. Idols have eyes, but they can't see. Idols have ears, but they can't hear. Idols have hands, but they can't make. The point is they're lifeless and those who make idols, those who worship idols, become lifeless like their idols. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that when we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, we will be transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. Set your eyes on this world and you will be made lifeless like this world. Set your eyes on Christ and you will be transformed into his glory. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. What does that mean? Set your mind is a single word in the original language, and it describes a resolved, single-minded commitment. Think of athletes. Athletes who want to make the big leagues but aren't there yet. And their friends might invite them out for a late night to the movies and say, sorry, guys, I can't go tonight. I got practice in the morning. And the next day, they'll ask him, say, hey, can we go out for lunch? We're going to go get wings together. And it's like, I can't get wings, but I'll get the vegan burger because I'm on a diet. And the next day, they say, hey, we want to go out and uh, we want to uh, uh, play touch football today. And it's like, you know what? I love that. And I'm an athlete, but really, I'm actually like can't overtrain right now because I could injure myself. It's not that necessarily the athletes don't want to do these things or don't want to be with their friends, but they have a goal. Big leagues, diet, time, effort. I'm not going to be distracted by anything else. I will be single-mindedly committed to this. When Christ grasps our gaze and we recognize that acknowledging his way and living in his kingdom is the way that we can reach maturity, then we recognize that any other way is only a distraction from my one goal of becoming like Christ, so I'm resolved and committed to the way of the kingdom. The narrow road, or the narrow road is very particular. One way to follow. The wide road that leads to destruction has a lot of vendors on the side of the streets that will make you stop and pull you from here to there. But I'm on the narrow road. 
Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. And the way that the Apostle Paul writes this, he writes it as a command, but not a single command that they obey once, like I come to church once and great, I've set my mind on the things above. No, it's ongoing. It's continuous. Daily, I set my mind, I seek the things that are above. Because if I don't, left to my own devices, I know I'm going to be drawn back to the world. I know that I am going to be drawn back to the world. Left to itself, a canoe will be carried by the current wherever the current wants it to go. Left by itself, a garden will be overrun with weeds. Left by itself, drive your car as long as you want, but don't maintain it. Change the oil. It's going to rust out. But if you get into a canoe with a paddle, you can fight against the current and go where you want to go. Go into a garden and tend it carefully, watering it and pruning it, and it will flourish with fruit and flowers. Regularly maintain your car and change the oil, and it will work in the way that it's designed. If we're going to reach full maturity and be empowered by the gospel. It's not enough to once a week. Actually, I would even admit from my own life and from what I see in scripture, it's not enough for once a day to reorient our lives around Christ. Daniel, the prophet in exile, decided three times a day I will turn my attention towards God and pray. In Psalm chapter one, it says that he will meditate on God's law day and night if we're going to set our minds and seek the things that are above, we're going to need to reorient ourselves multiple times every day. How can we do this? What we need to be able to do is to develop spiritual habits that train us to be consciously aware of the authority of Christ in every sphere of life. Because it's hard to live by faith. It's easy to walk by sight. We need to train ourselves to be consciously aware of the heavenly authority of Christ in every sphere of this earthly life. So when I'm at the mall, I may be thinking about my chores, but I'm still living in light of the authority of Christ. When I'm cooking dinner and my kids are blowing up, and then I go to fix my, help my kids with whatever they're doing, and then the food is burned, how can I still acknowledge the authority of Christ? When and I'm commuting to work, and I know I need to have a hard conversation with Christ, how can I form my thoughts around acknowledging and recognizing the authority of Christ? It starts with recognizing our identity. Every day, I know I'm dead to this world. I know I've been set free from it. I know I'm alive with Christ. I know I must seek God's kingdom. I'm dead to the world. I'm alive in Christ. With that base of our identity, Let's develop habits like these three habits. First, pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray every day. Every day, pray that prayer that Christ taught us to pray. Do you remember it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Maybe you don't know how to pray. But every prayer you could ever pray has been prayed in the Lord's Prayer. 
All you need to learn to do is now apply that prayer to every sphere of your life. God, I recognize that you are holy and that your name is great and I haven't been living for you, but I wanna recognize your name. Lord, I've been living for myself, but I wanna live for your kingdom. Help me live for your kingdom to follow your will today. God, I haven't been spending my money well recently, and I know I'm even struggling to pay my bills, but I'm coveting the things of the world. Help me just to trust you for the basic things that I need. Lord, I've sinned against people today, and I know people have sinned against me. Help me in my relationships to be able to forgive others because I know you've forgiven me. God, I know I'm gonna be tempted today. I know when I go to that place and talk to that person or watch that thing, I know that same temptation is gonna come up, but you said you'll lead me away from temptation, so deliver me from this evil. Pray the prayer that Christ taught you to pray every day and you'll orient, reorient yourselves around his heavenly authority as we live life in this world. Pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray and then also renew your mind in the word of God every day. Renew your mind in the word of God every day. Regularly you hear from this pulpit the necessity of meditating on scripture. But we know that it's not done passively. You don't gain meditation on God's word by putting a Bible under your pillow and then going to bed and hoping osmosis gets it done. Do you have a pattern that encourages you to read God's word every day? What time? Should you read God's word every day? Do you have a planned time? Like it's a meeting because you're actually not just reading a book, you're seeking a person. So is it in your calendar in the same way that you're pl- you would put calendar a meeting with a person? What time should you seek God's word? Before the kids up, after the kids go down, on the go train to commute every day? What's the time? that? What's the place? Jesus went off to pray with, and be with God in solitude. It says desolate places, do a search in your Bible and see how many times it says Jesus went off to a desolate place. We need a time, we need a place in solitude, we need a plan. What are you gonna read today? What are you gonna read tomorrow? Today, I, or right now, I'm reading through the Gospel of Matthew. I wake up and I open, I turn on the coffee and I read a proverb. And then I go pour my coffee and I go get back to my Bible and I read one chapter a day in Matthew. And then I read a psalm, and then I use that psalm as my prayer to God. A time, a place, a plan. Do you have a person? Do you have a person who you can read together with? So that if you miss a day, or if they miss a day, or you're discouraged, you can encourage each other to keep going. If you have a time, a place, a plan, and a person, you will help give yourself a pattern to develop a habit to seek God every day. Pray the, price that, pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray. Renew your mind in God's word. And then also seek honest counsel from other Christians. Because sometimes we don't know how we should acknowledge God's authority in heavenly authority in this worldly realm. You might not know. A friend might be asking you to do a thing that you know doesn't honor God, but you really want to be friends with this person. Ask your parents. Ask your small group leader. Maybe your boss has asked you to do something that you know will be good for business but might be corrupting in your morals but you don't know what to do. Ask someone you trust, how can I acknowledge Christ's authority in this way? We can set our minds and seek God 
and his heavenly authority when we train ourselves with habits to be consciously aware of his heavenly authority in every sphere of life. But maybe you've been really distracted and like you've been living like your king on the throne. What do you do if you've been so absent from God's presence and so distracted for so long? Christian, it's hard. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight. But if you've been so distracted for so long, I would encourage you just to remember who you are. If you've believed in Jesus, you've died to the world. Why are you living in it? Why are you loving in it? Why are you submitting to its regulations? That's not who you are, is it? You've died with Christ. You've risen with Christ. Lift thine eyes. How does the gospel empower us to strive for maturity in Christ? The gospel has set us free to seek God's kingdom and to put on new life. Let's read the last two verses in Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. Verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice twice it says, Your life your life. When we seek God's kingdom, we can actually live the new life that God has created us to live. This should be our motivation. Because we're dead to the empty authority of this world, we're set free from the meaningless rules of this world, and our true life is not in this world. Our true life is Christ. Did you notice that in verse 4? When Christ who is your life, that's kind of a small parenthesis, not, that's kind of a big parenthesis to not just pass over. Who is Christ? Oh, he's your life. Ball isn't life. Gaming isn't life. Your job isn't life. Your friends aren't your life. Christ is your life. He didn't just give you life so that you can have your life. Christ is your life. And where is Christ? He's at God's right hand. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That means your best life is not now. Your best life is waiting for you when Christ returns. As long as we are in these bodies, myself, yourself, Christian, we will always be frustrated by being unable to attain the level of holiness that you desire to attain as a faithful Christian. I will too. As long as we're in this body of flesh, we'll be tempted by sin, we'll be distracted by this world, we will walk by sight, but a day is coming. A day is coming. Have hope when Christ will return, where the mortal will put on immortality, where the perishable will be swallowed up by the imperishable, where death will be no more, where sin will be destroyed, and we will be in perfect, sinless paradise with Christ forever. Your true life is waiting for you. You have no reason to live in this world anymore. You have no reason to live like this world anymore. But you have reason to put off the old self and put on the new. The gospel has set us free to seek God's kingdom and put on new life. We cannot do this if our attention is not fixed towards Jesus Christ, towards his authority as we live here in this world. 
So I would finish with this thought, church. Remember that your attention is a valuable commodity. Spiritually, but also in a worldly way, your attention is a pretty valuable commodity today. With the onset of smartphones and uh, all of these apps that can, we can do amazing things in our pocket, like connecting with people across the world and watching the best quality entertainment and amazing productivity, economy has dramatically tr changed as a result of that. Industry has dramatically changed as a result of that. <clears throat> in the past, a gaming company might not have thought that a um, word processing company was a competitor, but now, because you can play Fortnite or Google, write things in Google Docs on the same device, they're actually competitors. And what they're competing for is your attention. Because the way that economy works in the, often with, on your smartphone is that they make money, if it's a free app, gener generally, they make money by your attention. Free apps make money by selling you ads. So they observe your behavior, watch the content that you click, so that while we think we're controlling our user experience, the algorithm behind it is giving you exactly what you want, to keep you on the app for as long as possible, to keep making money off of you as you watch more ads. Your attention is a valuable commodity. And because of the way it operates, it is controlling our experience. Your attention is a valuable commodity also when you walk with Christ. And if we are not actively and intentionally ourselves choosing with good habits, to set our minds on the things that are above, we will have a curated human experience that will lead us away from Christ and towards this world. Because the algorithm of human living apart from Christ is built on the equation of the lies of the devil, the temptations of the flesh, and the corruptions of this world. And if you think that you can passively scroll through life, this world is gonna control your human experience and it's gonna be guided towards death and away from life. Your attention is a valuable commodity. Don't let someone else decide where your eyes go. Fix your attention on Christ. The gospel has set us free from this world to seek God's kingdom and put on new life. Let's be a people that train ourselves by the power of the Spirit to be consciously aware of Christ's heavenly authority as we live our lives here on earth. We've been delivered from this world, but we're still living in it, so we need to reorient ourselves around the heavenly authority of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you are king. Your son is king. And I thank you that you have given us the spirit so that we can recognize and acknowledge his authority, so that we can hear his voice and follow his way. God, I thank you that your kingdom is expanding as you welcome more people into it. 
as more believe in you and are born again, more acknowledging you as king. And we await with hope that day when you will return and establish your, your kingdom fully. We need help now, Lord God. I need help now, God, because it's really easy to get distracted by my sight rather than walk by faith. Help us, Lord God, to be trained to be consciously aware of your authority in this world. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and let us live in allegiance to it with our eyes set on it day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.